You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Post Live Election Daily, hosted by national political reporter Robert Costa, is a daily snapshot of the state of the 2020 election. Each day, Costa and other Washington Post reporters will give you the headlines, the inside track on key congressional races, and a behind-the-scenes assessment on the presidential race in top battleground states. And we'll hear from key newsmakers and top political players. In this episode, you'll hear from Senator Robert Casey of Pennsylvania and Senator Patrick Toomey of Pennsylvania. Let's listen. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Post Live's Post-Election Daily. I'm Bob Costa, national political reporter at The Post. And on this Veterans Day, we are celebrating veterans and also keeping a close eye on all the headlines out there. And to really dig deep today on a battleground state from the 2020 campaign. That's also my home state, Pennsylvania. And we'll be joined by Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican, and Senator Bob Casey in just a moment, a Democrat, the two senators from Pennsylvania. But first, the headlines. Georgia is heating up. The Secretary of State in Georgia has announced a hand recount in that state. President-elect Biden is up by about 14,000 votes in the latest Washington Post count. And that's going to be a state Uh, that everybody in this country who's involved with politics will have their eyes on between now and the January 5th runoff. Have a story in the Post today all about it. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, meanwhile, in the House, remains in charge. She has fended off no challenge, uh, no Democrats stepping forward to challenge Speaker Pelosi, despite Democrats losing seats in the House of Representatives. It's a testament to her power. And it's also a sign that Democrats who are ambitious in the House, like Hakeem Jeffries of New York, are probably going to just wait it out, wait out Speaker Pelosi until she decides to retire at some point and then have an open race for the gavel. But it's interesting, when you lose seats, usually there's a leadership challenge in the House of Representatives, not this time. And finally, Biden and Boris, President-elect Biden, Prime Minister Boris Johnson had a phone call uh, that was productive. Boris Johnson spoke to the House of Commons in in recent hours, and he said it was a productive call about climate change. He also notably referred to President Trump as the former president. So it's an acknowledgement from one of our top allies, uh, the UK, that they have moved on, even though President Trump has not and has refused to concede. But now let's bring in Senator Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, a Democrat, a longtime leader in the state, has been elected to state offices uh, and has been in the Senate now for quite some time. Senator Casey uh, from Scranton area of Pennsylvania, great to have you here. Bob, good to be with you. Thank you. Senator Casey, I remember being with you in Scranton uh, in 2017, right after President Trump was elected. And even then, we were talking about 2020. Pennsylvania was going to be a key state in the campaign. As you look at the results and reflect on this past campaign, where is Pennsylvania right now, politically speaking? Well, Bob, it's very much a a close state, as we can tell by the election results. Uh, Donald Trump won in 2016 by 0.7%, 44,292. I've memorized that number. But now Joe Biden is winning by a similar margin. Uh, As we speak on the unofficial count, it's above 47,000. That will grow. It could hit hit as high as 80,000. But it's a close state, and we, we have to recognize that going forward. I think we've got to learn a lot on our side from 2020, if we're going to get ready for the 2022 election coming up, where we where we have a governor's race for an open seat, the governor's office, as well as an open seat for the U.S. Senate 
uh, with uh, Senator Toomey saying he's not going to run. So that's a, that's significant that we've got uh, a lot at stake in 2022. But I'm grateful that uh, the people of Pennsylvania uh, elected Joe Biden because uh, he, he you could see in his campaign uh, that he followed the strategy which uh, I and others thought was necessary to win the state. So we're happy about that. You mentioned 2022. Uh, longtime Pennsylvania political observers have often said Senator Casey might want to be governor himself like his father. Are you in any way thinking about it, a run for governor in 2022? I'm not, Bob. I'm very happy with the work I'm doing in the Senate and uh, blessed to have a chance to serve uh, another term. I just got reelected in 2018, so uh, I'll be busy here. And I also want to make sure that I can concentrate my work, uh, not just on the work that I do on behalf of the people of Pennsylvania, but also to help Joe Biden succeed. Because uh, if he succeeds, uh, I think the nation and our Commonwealth will be better off. Could you ever see yourself running for governor down the line later in your career? Well, Bob, I just turned 60 this year, and uh, David Lawrence, as you might remember, in the late 1958, I think he was about 68 when he got elected governor, so there's always inspiration out there. <laughs> a president-elect Biden, of course, from Scranton, are you privately pushing for the presidential library, and I know this is down the line, to be in Scranton, <laughs> Pennsylvania, rather than Delaware? Bob, I haven't gotten that far down the road. I we're still at 47,000 in the margin and still climbing. We at least want to certify the results before we talk about a presidential library. But I would say this, Bob, when you consider the, the issues that um, Joe Biden talked about a lot in the campaign, I think set forth a real detailed plan. The virus and jobs, as I like to call it, or the virus and the, the economic uh, ditch that we're in, uh, you can see those uh, challenges right here or I should say right there, I'm in Washington today, but in Pennsylvania. Number one, uh, we have a, still have a very high unemployment rate. September, 518,000 people out of work, a little more than 8%. And that's low from where it was in, in April through August. And then secondly, we have, a, we have a raging virus. Numbers going way up in Pennsylvania, um, 243,000 cases roughly and more than 9,000 deaths. So. Just in Pennsylvania, you can see the two challenges that confront the new administration. Is a stimulus package going to be the first priority for President Biden? Well, I hope it doesn't have to be his uh, first priority uh, upon taking office. I hope that we'll, we can get something done this month or in December. I think that's what we should try to do. And when I say something, I mean something robust, something substantial, not just a very limited scaled down proposal that uh, Leader McConnell has uh, set forth a couple of times. We need a big, bold, robust relief uh, strategy, relief bill, really. And I think it should concentrate at a minimum on at least three groups of Americans. Older citizens, a real strategy to get the nursing home uh, case number and death number down. Over 91,000 people have died in nursing homes. That's an abomination, a failure for the greatest country in the world. We have two, you know, 91,000 represents resident deaths as well as worker deaths. We got to get that down. And, and I have a strategy to do that if we fund it. Secondly, I think communities of color need help in this pandemic. They've been disproportionately affected 
by way of case numbers and death numbers. That means a, a big boost to Medicaid to make sure that we have coverage for uh, those Americans. And, and certainly people with disabilities uh, are a vulnerable group as well. They've suffered disproportionately. We need to make sure that there are options for uh, seniors and people with disabilities to get them help in home settings or community-based settings. So not, that's, that's leaving out food assistance and state and local mm -hmm. government help. You can see how big this has to be, I think, to provide the relief that we need. I hope we can get it done this month or next. President Trump and his campaign are mounting legal challenges in Pennsylvania. You're as plugged in as anybody with the state, the state legislature, the Democrats and the Republicans. Do you believe there's any movement afoot to try to change how Pennsylvania sends its electors to the Electoral College, how the Electoral College vote is handled by Pennsylvania? Well, there's no doubt that it's that's a, a strategy of the the uh, Trump team. There's no question about that. And I think they will try to uh, solicit support from Republican elected officials and others in, in our state. I think that's a, a pretty steep hill to climb. Um, I was uh, heartened that uh, some state Republican legislative leaders have already said that they're going to follow the law on the Electoral College. Uh, but I put nothing past the Trump team because they are they are both both desperate and defeated and they'll try anything uh, to try to change the rules and uh, even break the law to win but I don't think it'll be how would successful. they do that think, Senator Casey what's how that? would they do that how would they do that well somehow to, to try to undermine the existing law as it relates to the electoral college and try to try to get people to, to vote a different way than their their uh, uh, their 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 electoral uh, uh, standing would require them to vote, but of course they're they're already lying over and over again, and the president has lied about uh, about voter fraud and all the rest. We know that there is no widespread voter fraud across the country, and there's certainly none of that in Pennsylvania. But they're going to keep trying. But for, so far, Bob, they're they're on their lawsuits and their legal actions are batting a thousand. They haven't won a single one, and I think they'll continue to lose because Joe Biden was elected and it's just a matter of time now before that uh, election is validated by way of the Electoral College. When you're talking with your colleagues in the Senate on the Democratic side, and maybe even some Republicans, and they see the Secretary of Defense uh, terminated, they see different intelligence officials uh, being put in who are Trump loyalists into key intelligence positions, what is their impression? And what do they think is actually going on with this president and this administration in the lame duck period? But on the Democratic side, there's there's great concern, and you're not surprised by that. I think there's probably also significant concern on the Republican side. I haven't had a chance to engage with Republican senators yet. We only got back uh, just uh, on Monday, but um, but I wish Republican senators would stand up and and uh, tell the truth about what happened here. Joe Biden was elected president. He is the president-elect. And the faster that the transition uh, is able to kick into gear fully, uh, and especially as it relates to uh, our national security, his team, he and his team, should be getting national security briefings uh, uh, at, at the rate and, and at the depth that every other uh, former president-elect has been getting them. But that hasn't happened yet. It puts us at risk. 
And it just shows you the lengths to which Donald Trump will go, even to undermine badly our national security. I just hope that Republican senators and House members would, would say to the White House, look, you've got to, at a bare minimum, uh, provide the national security briefing so we don't have a, a gap or a seam in our national security going forward. We now know that uh, uh, th that uh, our, our, our adversaries uh, are, are looking for those kinds of gaps. We can't afford that. What happens if President Trump refuses to concede and the Government Services Administration does not formalize a transition until after, after the election is certified in Congress? It just, are, are there anything, is there anything you could do in the Senate to prod that along, or are your hands tied? I'm not aware of anything, Bob, except if uh, Majority Leader McConnell um, got his caucus to, to unify and come together on, on maybe passing a, a, a statute or, or an amendment that, that would mandate uh, that kind of action being taken by the administration and general services. Absent that, I'm not sure there's anything in the near term that the Senate could do. So uh, I think the ball is in the court of the Senate majority on that. Uh, but I'm hoping that uh, uh, you know more rational uh, voices in the administration will will allow that at least that part of the process to go forward. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't benefit anyone if this uh, process is is dragged out. What's your view of the Georgia runoff races on January 5th? The Democrats actually have a shot. Bob, I think they do. And this, my, my analysis here is pretty limited and not much more than uh, uh, very, very limited in, in the sense that I don't think I can offer anything more than, than anyone else could. But the fact that, that uh, Joe Biden looks like he's going to win Georgia or has, has come, and it's come so close, I think is a good harbinger for the two uh, the, the Senate races, the runoffs. But it, the, I can't go below that depth so, because I was so immersed in Pennsylvania. But I think it's pretty remarkable what has happened in the presidential race in Georgia. And I think that provides a really good foundation for uh, the Senate races. Um, Stacey Abrams and so many others who worked very hard in this over many years, especially the last couple of years, I think their, uh, their work has borne a lot of fruit. So what does the Senate actually look like, Senator Casey, in 2021? Uh, knowing, of course, you may say you would like to see some bipartisanship and all of that. What's the reality if it's Majority Leader McConnell, a narrow majority, a President Biden? Is, does anything get done beyond keeping the government open and passing some budget bills? Or do you actually have a real belief, confidence that something big ticket, a big ticket item could be achieved? Bob, I think it's obviously a lot better off if we win the two seats in Georgia and we end up at a 50-50 tie and we have the effectively have the majority because we want to get things done. I mean, we want to, on our side, we want to tackle the virus. We want to jumpstart the economy. We want to expand health care and uh, confront climate change. So much we've got to do. Uh, if we're in the minority and even even if it's narrow, that will, that will be, a, um, that'll be difficult, I think, for the country because Leader McConnell, it, just seems to believe by virtue of the last couple of years, especially the last two or three years, that the Senate is a nomination machine and little else. And I think the moment that we're in, or I should say the, the, uh, the, the, the actions by the Senate should meet the moment that we're in 
which means we got to tackle some really big problems. I'm hoping, hoping that because uh, Joe Biden will engage with Senate Republicans and will try every day to work with Leader McConnell, if he is the majority leader, we don't know that yet, um, that we can make uh, some progress. But our country faces the kind of challenges I don't think that any new administration has faced since March of 1933 when FDR uh, took the oath of office. Who are the kind of people you would like to see in the cabinet? Could you offer any names that you think should be part of the Biden cabinet? I, Bob, I don't want to try to make any news on that because it would be just rank speculation. Well, we welcome news um, here, Senator Casey. <laughs> I know you do, but I'm, 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 I'm but afraid I you're the kind I of didn't... senator who, who, who has a, a feel for what could actually get done. You're more centrist on different issues. Well, I, look, I think that there, uh, President-elect Biden is going to have a great team around him, no question about that. Part of that is his, his years in the Senate. He knows, uh, he knows talent, he knows the confirmation process, but I think his years as vice president obviously offers a whole other layer of experience about what has to get done early, lessons learned from the early days of 2009. Um, so I think he's gonna, I'm not gonna give him um, advice on, on the people who should be in his cabinet, but uh, obviously the, the confirmation process will be more difficult if, if uh, Republicans maintain a majority, but. I think he'll get a good team around him. And one thing about this president, uh, President-elect Biden, is that he's not going to be afraid to surround himself with the kind of strength and uh, uh, sub, you know, substantial figures that some presidents don't like to have around. Some presidents have kind of an insecurity about them. They don't like people in the cabinet that might, uh, you know, might outshine them on, a, on particular days. I think Joe Biden is going to get the best talent available, whether or not that, uh, that he, means that- But he's uh, got decisions yeah. to make, Senator. Like you think about, I'll be a little bit more specific. Secretary yeah. of State, he could, go, he could go with Ambassador Susan Rice or your colleague from Delaware, Senator Chris Coons. Most of my sources say Coons would be an easier confirmation than Ambassador Rice. If you look at Treasury, he could nominate Lael Branyard or he could nominate Elizabeth Warren, this, your colleague, the Senator from Massachusetts. Choices have to be made and for Republicans, it, it, it could be a, a ripe fight if a, a liberal is nominated. Those are, the, those are at least the dynamics from my perch, but maybe uh, you see it differently. No, Bob, there's no question. I think the, first, the predicate to, to uh, those kinds of uh, comparisons w will be uh, who has control of the Senate. Now, I'm, you know, we, still have, we still have two races to settle in Georgia, so we could, still, we could be at a 50-50 tie, and then we have uh, Kamala Harris is vice president to break ties. So I'll, we'll wait and see what happens. But there's no question there's a difference between a Democratic majority and a Republican majority and confirmation. But um, but I'm not going to I'm not going to name names that would get everyone in trouble, including me. Well, well, uh, well, let's be clear. Is a Senator Casey open to being in the cabinet or not or not? Bob, I am very happy with the work I have to do in the Senate. Senator, you mentioned the lessons of 2009, and I think back to that period as a reporter covering the Affordable Care Act. Do you believe because Congress is so divided and narrowly divided, maybe Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden should put off pursuing a public option on health care for a year or two? I don't think so. I think we should do everything we can to expand health care. Uh, 
uh, even even if we got a, and I don't think we will get an early decision from the Supreme Court, but I'm hoping that the Affordable Care Act will be upheld. I've been pretty pessimistic about that and remain so, but I hope it's upheld. So I think we should pursue uh, any strategy, any option to expand um, coverage. I do think, though, that we learned a couple things in the in the Obama administration's first term. Number one is uh, the the Recovery Act then was probably a little too small. Uh, we were trying to get Republican votes. I think you have to make uh, any uh, new jobs initiative big and bold. Um, I'm going to be introducing New Deal WPA style uh, jobs program. Uh, number two is I think you have to at some point when this if if the majority is in Republican hands when Joe Biden puts out his hand and Mitch McConnell Republicans bite his hand. Uh, once or twice, at some point you have to move on and you have to either schedule the vote or or spend some time on the road and, and drum up support and pressure and make it more painful when Republicans block things. So uh, all of those lessons, I think, are difficult to implement, but I think we learned a lot in the first, certainly the first couple of years of the Obama administration. What's your concern, if any, about what's happening in Philadelphia? The president has been relentless in his attacks on election officials, local officials in Philadelphia about the election. Do you believe it could cause unrest or even something else? I don't think that's going to happen. I'd be surprised if that happens, but uh, because he's tried before and and there wasn't that kind of at the polls voter intimidation with the uh, people with firearms and the like. But I will say this, what the president's doing in Philadelphia is not about votes or, or anything having to do with the election. It's racism. He's engaged in a racist attack on Philadelphia. It's, it's a continuation of what he's done over and over again. The bad news for the president is uh, Mr. Schmidt, the Republican city commissioner, is, uh, is, is report, has reported now in 60 Minutes and in other interviews that uh, there's nothing wrong with the vote in Philadelphia. There's no voter fraud. And that's consistent with all the reporting. So try as the president might, uh, he's not going to be successful in either convincing people that there's voter fraud or in overturning the results of the election. So we, Joe Biden won Pennsylvania, and that vote margin keeps growing. Where is the Catholic vote in Pennsylvania? As a Catholic yourself, a president like Biden, a Catholic from Scranton, Pennsylvania, just like you, uh, are they voting on issues beyond abortion rights? And if so, what are those issues in your mind? You're in touch with more Catholic voters in Pennsylvania than most people. Well, Bob, I think you know as a native of our state that uh, that uh, the Catholic vote, as, as often referred to, is probably not in any election, really a monolithic vote. There's a diversity to that vote, just as there is a diversity in uh, to every um, category. Um, I think in this election um, that President Trump has won that vote in Pennsylvania, as he did in 16. Um, but I think those of us who are, uh, you know, Catholic Democratic elected officials, we got some work to do, because often we allow the other side the Republican side of the Catholic um, uh, Catholic elected officials or, or, or the Catholic uh, vote uh, to dominate the conversation. We've got to do a much better job of talking about issues that relate to, to people's lives. I mean, 
For example, when I talk about Medicaid, it's pretty hard to say that you're following the gospel when you're you're out to cut uh, Medicaid and uh, the Women, Infants, and Children's Program and the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and you're out to destroy the Affordable Care Act. It's pretty hard to say that you're being consistent with the gospel. Um, but we've got some work to do, and that's uh, something, some work that I'm going to continue to undertake because I think too often we've allowed uh, very loud, extreme voices to pretend that they speak for all Catholics when they don't. Frankly, most of them don't even speak for the Pope, uh, let alone Catholics in Pennsylvania. But I think, I, I admit to you, I think we've got some work to do on, on my side of that debate. And final question here. Uh, when you look at 2022, you say you're not running for governor, uh, but in that open Senate seat race, should Democrats move towards someone who's more like a Bob Casey Democrat, or maybe a little bit more centrist, uh, to, to make sure Pennsylvania, that's, that seat maybe moves to Democratic hands in 2022? Well, that's going to depend upon a lot. I think, look, I think we're going to nominate someone who's going to be able to run not only a competitive but winning race. But but it's wide open now, Bob. There will be a number of uh, um, contenders for that. It's still pretty early, but I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be wide open. I don't, I'm not sure that I want to impose a, a, uh, a predicate or a label on on that uh, nominee because look, our state has has changed enormously. You know, just in your lifetime, and even more dramatically in my much older lifetime. The, the the votes that Democrats are getting in suburban communities are extraordinary. I mean, even from 16 to 20, the vote went up in Montgomery County by five percentage points from Joe Biden won Montgomery County by uh, 26 points. It was 21 last time. Delaware County way up. Your native uh, home county, Bucks County, went up as well. Chester County even more dramatically. So the, the suburban vote for Democrats is really rising and, and has potential to grow even more. And uh, we, we've got we got some work to do in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, but Joe Biden was able to shave some of those margins a little bit and do better in northeastern Pennsylvania. So I think a Democrat being nominated in 2022 without an incumbent senator on the Republican side has a really good chance. Senator Bob Casey, look forward to seeing you in Pennsylvania again for an assignment and, and coverage. But until then, all the best, and thanks for stopping by this afternoon to talk about our state, our home state, Pennsylvania. Bob, thanks so much. Thank you. And we're now joined by Pennsylvania's other senator, Pat Toomey, Patrick J. Toomey, Republican of Pennsylvania. Senator Toomey, great to have you here. Great to be with you, Bob. Senator Toomey, I'm not sure how much you heard of my conversation with Senator Casey, and you may even talk to him from time to time about this, but how do you see Pennsylvania right now politically? Has it changed since you first came into office uh, back in 2011? Oh, sure. It's changed in a lot of ways. Um, but um, look, I think if you look at the election from last week, um, there's no question that most Republicans are disappointed that the president um, does not appear to have uh, won this election. But every other place on the ballot, Republicans did remarkably well. And that's just irrefutable. Um, we picked up seats in the state house. Uh, we picked up a seat in the state Senate. We won two out of the three statewide row offices in Pennsylvania. We had incumbents running in very, very difficult races um, and they all won. So um, 
you know, I, as I say, I mean, I think uh, Republicans are disappointed with the way things appear to be going at the top of the ticket, but everywhere else. And frankly, that's true about the country. Who was it that was suggesting that Republicans were going to pick up seats in the House? And more than a handful, apparently. I think we have an excellent chance of holding the Senate. And we flipped a couple of state legislatures, didn't lose a single one. So for all of the predictions about a blue wave, it's not even a ripple. So if Republicans are on the upswing in Pennsylvania and perhaps elsewhere, why are you retiring in 2022? Maybe you're going to rethink that decision now. Um, no, that would be your speculation, but there's, that's not going to happen because my decision is not based on our political fortunes. It was a personal decision, Bob. You know, I, I've uh, long been sympathetic to term limits. I imposed term limits on myself in the House and served only the three terms that I said I would. And I always thought, and I always openly acknowledged that I thought I'd probably serve just two terms in the Senate. And when I finish this term, which I intend to finish as strong as I can, I will have been in elective office for 18 years. And, you know, for me, that's enough. So uh, I'm glad that uh, Republican prospects um, have been getting better and look really good at this point. Uh, but that doesn't even begin to change uh, my thinking. Senator Toomey, there are a couple of reports in the Washington Post today, one on the editorial page by David Ignatius, another on the news section by Shane Harris, with officials, current and former, raising alarm to be frank, about the lack of a formal transition process for President-elect Biden, uh, for the GSA to not be working with the Biden transition team. Are you concerned as a U.S. senator about that lack of a formal process for the transition for the president-elect? Well, I, I would note that uh, Vice President Biden has indicated that he does not see a problem. He thinks that this transition is going to go smoothly. I've also said, Bob, I, you know, it does appear as though uh, Joe Biden is likely to uh, be certified as, as the president-elect relatively soon. And so I think it'd be better if we did begin a transition uh, process that, uh, that we've had in the past. Uh, my guess is that will probably begin relatively soon. What gives you that confidence? I, I, I just think that's where it's probably heading. It are Republicans beyond yourself ready to take your position? Is that maybe where this is heading? But it's not my call. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I think that's where it's likely to go. Do you consider Joe Biden to be president-elect? Uh, Bob, as I've said, there's a process that we go through, and it's mm -hmm. perfectly fine for the media to make their projections. And, you know, after a certain point, the, the media has a certain amount of evidence to make those projections. Uh, that being said, elections aren't determined by media projections. They're determined by counting votes. And we're almost finished with the vote count in Pennsylvania, for instance. We are finished in many states. We're finishing in the others. Uh, but even that is not the end of the process. If it's close enough, as you know, in Pennsylvania, there's an automatic recount whether candidates want it or not. Uh, if the uh, election margin is narrow enough, it looks like this margin probably will be slightly outside what would automatically require a recount. But then the losing candidate can still seek a recount. Um, so that's probably going to happen. And then there is um, there's litigation. Uh, you know, we're a litigious society and our elections uh, have uh, litigation pretty much um, uh, pretty frequently, I should say. 
Um, so I think we're going to adjudicate several uh, disputes. That's all part of this process. Uh, it'll be it'll be done soon enough, and I think the outcome will be clear. While President Trump continues his legal challenges, including in Pennsylvania, he is also attacking the integrity of the election in in tweets, uh, and he's urging his his uh, supporters to share that view. Any advice for the president when it comes to his rhetoric about the election? No, you know, um, I'm I'm not the editor of the president's Twitter feed, and uh, I don't. Um, uh, long ago, I decided it's probably best for me not to try to uh, coach the president on what he should say in public. He has very strong views, and uh, he's not shy about uh, saying what's on his mind. So, you know, that's that's his business. How do you believe Pennsylvania will handle the electoral college and the role of electors? Do you see any effort? inside the GOP to put an emphasis on maybe making some changes as that process unfolds? So I, you may or may not be aware, but the, the Republican leaders, Republicans have a majority in the state house and the state Senate and Republican leaders in both parties have made clear that the Pennsylvania legislature has already exercised its responsibility for determining how electors are selected and they're selected by the outcome of the vote, the, the will of the people of Pennsylvania. So that's that's how the electors are going to be selected. The legislature is not going to try to do an end round uh, end run around this vote and uh, you know try to uh, put forth some alternative slate. Uh, that's just not going to happen. When you look at the termination of Secretary Esper, other personnel changes inside the intelligence community in recent days by President Trump. What do you see happening? What do you, what do you think is happening inside this White House, or what do you know is happening? So I, look, there the presidents get to make that decision about their um, uh, their cabinet members, and there have been it's not a not a state secret that uh, Defense Secretary Esper and the president have had disagreements about about public policy, and so it's not shocking that um, that the president would make a change. So. That's that's what I see. Looking ahead to 2021, do you see any possibility of gun control legislation, you and Senator Manchin and perhaps a President Biden? Um, you know, I don't know, Bob. Uh, I still believe uh, as a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, I, I still believe that background checks are completely compatible with a very robust Second Amendment. And so I still advocate for the expansion to background checks that Senator Manchin and I attempted to get done some time ago. Um, I, I don't know whether that's something that um, uh, Joe Biden will make a priority of, and I don't know whether uh, I'll be able to persuade enough Republican colleagues in the Senate to get something done, but I still hold the view that expanding background checks is good public policy, and I'm for it. Have there been any discussions recently about it? Uh, the truth is the discussions recently have been all about election. What about when you look at uh, ahead to 2021 spending in the Republican Party in the fiscal situation? This has been a focus of yours for years. You first came on my radar in, I believe, 2004 when you challenged then-Senator Specter in the Republican primary. Uh, and you were a spending hawk back then, a fiscal conservative. Do you believe your party has lost that that value as a core principle? And will it ever return? 
Um, so no, I don't think it's fair to say we've lost that value as a core principle. I, I think you have to look at, in fact, the recent history suggests quite the contrary. So first of all, the CARES Act was an absolutely extraordinary amount of money that we agreed to spend, but the circumstances required that, Bob. It's been a hundred years since we've had a pandemic like that, and never before in our history did the government respond to any set of circumstances by shutting down the economy, making it illegal to go to work, illegal to open a, a business. And so in the absence of an economy, which is a, a difficult thing to even grasp, we felt we needed to come in and replace lost income for the people who would be um, completely, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in desperate circumstances and keep the economy alive so that when we got to the other side, we could have a strong uh, growth. So we did that. I think it was the right call. There were a lot of provisions that uh, I wouldn't have put in if I got to write the bill by myself, but I swallowed those because I thought the circumstances required it. Now let's look at where we are today. We're in the midst of a remarkably, a really terrific recovery. It's not done. We're not at the end point of where we want our economy to be. But the economy is recovering much more rapidly than almost anyone thought. All the smartest economists were convinced that we'd be lucky if the unemployment rate at the end of this year got below 10%. Well, it was at 6.9% at the end of October. And that's with an expanding workforce. And wages are gaining. We grew 35% of our GDP in the last quarter. So this is a remarkably successful recovery. It is going on all cylinders. Sure, we've got a ways to go, but we're going to get there. And now, what do you see this divide? We have Democrats, including my, my good friend and colleague, Senator Casey, who, despite this very robust recovery, want to spend trillions of more dollars. We're not in the same place we were in in March. And trillions more, like Speaker Pelosi and most Democrats seem to want to do, is not a good idea at all. Republicans have advocated something that is still quite ambitious, several hundred billion dollars, maybe $500 billion, but something that would be targeted and it would be discreet and it would be for a limited period of time. So if you look at that divide, several hundred billion dollars of carefully targeted and increasingly, I think it's fair to question whether even that is necessary versus several trillion dollars. Um, now, I think it's pretty clear which party cares more about uh, fiscal policy. Do you believe Biden in January, President-elect Biden will move on a stimulus? That'll be the first big ticket item he pursues? No, I, I don't I know. I certainly can't predict what um, Joe Biden will do. Um, there will be an effort to do something in this lame duck uh, session, and, and that could pass. It's possible that, that um, you know, I think it's pretty clear. Speaker Pelosi didn't want a big stimulus. She didn't want any stimulus bill to get done prior to the election. She was concerned that would help Donald Trump. And the bigger priority than dealing with the circumstances that Americans are facing was to do anything to defeat Donald Trump. Well, so now that that is behind us, the election is behind us, she may have a different view. Um, Joe Biden might have a different view about what Democrats should do uh, in this regard, but I don't know what that will be. I think Republican, there will be a Republican consensus. I'm certainly not suggesting to be unanimous, but I think there'll be a consensus in the Senate that a narrow targeted bill uh, could still make sense and probably would still have broad Republican support. But if this is going to be 
a multi-trillion dollar liberal wish list and bail out for insolvent states and cities, that's, that's not going to happen. What's President Trump's role going forward in the Republican Party? What should it be? Oh, look, I'm not going to tell him what his role should be. That's going to be for him to decide. How do you believe he has influenced the Republican Party as you reflect on his his term? Well, there's a lot of ways. Um, you know, there's no question he's brought a lot of people to the Republican Party. Right? I mean, I think it's fair to say the Republican Party is now the, cla the party of the working class. Uh, that's a very, very large part of our political base. Uh, the Democratic Party uh, has really abandoned the kind of pro-growth policies that are good for jobs and income growth in the working class. And working class people figured that out. And so uh, that process was underway, that, that evolution, that movement, but Donald Trump accelerated it pretty dramatically. Um, he also expanded um, Republican Party appeal to ethnic minorities. For all of the people whose head is exploding about this, the truth is, he improved his vote totals among African Americans, among Hispanic Americans. So, you know, a challenge for Republicans is going to be, can we hold the people that Donald Trump brought to the party and win back the people that Donald Trump drove away from the party with through, you know, the perceptions of his personality? Um, so, um, politically, um, the effects have been very, very significant. and. I think a preliminary look at the election this Tuesday should be extremely encouraging for Republicans. On the policy side, I, I will say this administration, first of all, remarkably successful in many ways. It's it just an objective fact that we had the strongest economy of my lifetime right up until the pandemic hit earlier this year. We had record low unemployment. We had wages growing at an accelerating pace. We had a narrowing of the gap between the highest earners and the lowest earners. We had an energy renaissance that was reducing our CO2 emissions because natural gas was replacing coal for electricity generation. There was a tremendous amount of really good news, much of which I think mm -hmm. came from the pursuit of conventional Republican policies like pro-growth tax reform and rolling back regulations. And then we had areas where there, were, there was tension within the Republican coalition, such as on trade policy, where um, I, for one, disagreed with um, much of what the president uh, did and advocated. Um, so, you know, it, it's... Do you, do you believe always, the, uh, the GOP uh, is a protectionist party right now, generally speaking? No, I don't, no I, don't think, I don't think that'd be a fair characterization. I think, in fact, if you look at it with some very, very uh, narrow exceptions and, and a significant um, unique case, which is China, uh, otherwise, we're in the freest trading environment in 100 years. And it's in that freeing, that free global trade environment that we achieve the strongest economy of our lifetime and record low unemployment. So it's very, very clear that even with the Trump administration, with Republican Congress, we continue to have very robust trade. And by the way, the Trump administration has been pursuing discussions about a free trade agreement with the UK, a free trade agreement with Japan. So. Um, the, the message, even from the Trump administration on trade, has been mixed. It's not been exclusively protectionist. When you look ahead to 2021, you're as familiar with financial issues, banking issues, as anyone in the Senate, at least on the Republican side. Are you prepared to go to the barricades, politically speaking, 
if President-elect Biden nominates someone like Senator Warren or another progressive to be the Secretary of the Treasury, how do you see that playing out and what are you prepared to do inside the Senate? Well, first of all, I, I doubt very much that um, Secretary Warren would be on, on the nominating uh, table because the governor of Massachusetts is a Republican and replacing her with a Republican senator probably wouldn't go over really well with Senator Schumer. Um, but here's what I think, right? The, the, the population of a cabinet is a shared responsibility. The president should get significant deference in putting together his team, even though most Democrats in the Senate were not willing to do that for President Trump. I was willing to do that for President Obama. And, and I think that that is, that is important. Having said that, especially when you have divided government, when the American people speak as they have, expanding the number of Republicans in the House, probably uh, giving us a, a majority still in the Senate, growing Republican majorities in state legislatures across the country, we've got to recognize we've got a responsibility. It's advice and consent. And so I think people who are well outside of the political mainstream don't belong in really important senior level cabinet type posts. And uh, that, that's why that'll be an ongoing discussion, I think, between a, Republic, a Republican Senate and um, and um, and Joe Biden, should he, in fact, get uh, sworn in as president? Remind me, I don't have it in front of me, Senator. Did you oppose any Obama nominee for his cabinet? Uh, well, when, I certainly opposed some Obama nominees. Uh, I don't remember whether I opposed specific people who were cabinet nominees, right? We, we confirm people uh, far sure. below the, the rank of cabinet secretary, and I don't have that in front of me, Bob, so I don't remember, but I think that I probably voted to confirm over 70% of the Obama nominees that were made while I was in the Senate. That's kind of an old school view of being a senator, is it not? Of, of if a president's elected, they should have some, some room to pick their people. Well, it is the, the way Republicans have historically treated Democratic presidents. As I say, that was not reciprocated for President Trump uh, to a large degree. Uh, but uh, I think it's a shared responsibility. We should provide advice and consent. But consent is not a meaningful concept unless it can be withheld if the circumstances require it. Let's finish with a, a little bit of Toomey talk. Indulge me, Senator, just the final couple minutes here. 2022, are you going to stay out of the primary for your seat or are you going to keep up, keep on the table the idea that you could endorse a successor? Oh, I haven't I haven't made that decision, Bob. I haven't really even thought about it much. I really have no idea what the field will look like. And so it'd be uh, premature for me to decide whether or not I'm going to play a role. Any advice to Pennsylvania Republicans as they look to the gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania about who to nominate or how to win that race? Uh, well, not certainly not wh whom to nominate. You know, that's that's up to the voters. Um, uh, look, uh, Pennsylvania. The only thing I'm sure about Pennsylvania uh, is is in in this context is that it's going to be competitive. It'll be expensive. And we need a good candidate to run a good race. If we have those things, then I think our prospects are quite good. Uh, but, um, you know, you've got to earn it. Uh, big, diverse population, and neither party can take it for granted. Uh, you've got to go out and earn it. 
Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, Republican, former House member, now Senator. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. It's nice to have you and Senator Casey talk a little bit about Pennsylvania. I grew up as a Pennsylvania political junkie, so I appreciate you uh, having a little fun with some of the non-DC questions. Thank you very much, Senator Toomey. Thanks for having me, Bob. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.